Again, happy Easter to all of you. So excited to have you join us this morning. So let's begin with our Easter greeting. I will say, He is risen, and you know the response. It is, He is risen indeed. And then I'm going to respond to you for a new greeting today. He is risen, and He's coming back soon. Amen. God bless you guys. You know, that last song we just sang, hopefully you were able to tune in and enjoy that worship. I did. It says, what the enemy meant for evil, God turned it for good. And I started with this, but maybe some of you weren't logged on yet. But, you know, today, if the inventors of this uh, coronavirus intended to, or had any foresight that it would shut down churches, or if, or if the enemy had to, intended to shut us down, it backfired. Because on this day, more people are attending church in the world than ever before in any other single day in human history. Churches are exploding and growing online and everywhere. God is getting the attention of the world through this. And so we're without excuse, warning sign after warning sign after warning sign of God's grace, of his grace that he's coming, that he's coming. Be ready. We have a, a, a saying, be rapture ready. And it's a message I shared a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, forget the fight about when and how all that end, end times eschatology plays out. Nobody knows. Let me tell you this. Be ready always. That we can all bank on. Be rapture ready. Amen. So we love you. We're so glad you're here today. I uh I got up early this morning and I've been to um three different states and five different church services already. So another thing the enemy meant for evil, God turned it for good. I've never on Easter Sunday morning before been to five different churches on on one Easter Sunday. But today I tuned in and and, and to five different services. So here we are. So if you have your Bibles, please open them up to the Gospel of Luke chapter 23 beginning in verse number 56. Luke 23, 56. <coughs> Alright, so Luke 23, 56 says, Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. So in chapter 23, Jesus dies and they've prepared the spices to anoint his body for burial. Now, if all we have is chapter 23 and there's no chapter of 24, then we can all turn off, tune out, go home. But by the grace of God, Jesus is alive and we have chapter 24. Chapter 23 where Jesus dies is not the end of the story. That, the, that Jesus is alive and in chapter 24 as we, as we continue, that Jesus is going to defeat on this day and conquer sin and death. And in chapter 24, beginning in verse number 1, it says, Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, and certain other women with him came to the tomb, bringing spices which they had prepared. Now these women, Mary Magdalene, who, whom Jesus cast seven demons out, being one of them, didn't have the concept that they were coming to an empty tomb, right? The ladies were on their way with with burial spices and they, they were much prepared to take care of the body of Jesus. Now they had a dilemma. The other gospel tells us that these women in their minds, they were worried. What were they worried about that Easter Sunday morning? They were worried about who would roll away the stone. And that was a, a real worry, right? It was a, a big stone and these women of their own wouldn't be able to roll it away. But they came Easter Sunday morning with burial um, spices and expecting to see a dead body. But listen, we can't look for the dead among the living because Jesus is not dead. He's alive. And, and the other thing 
Uh, we have a www dot don't worry here. Wasted women worrying, wasted time worrying. They were worrying about the stone being rolled away. But in verse two, it says, but they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Wasted time. Listen, just on a side note here. The things that we worry about so often, they're always in the future. And half the time we get there, God already took care of it. So worrying does nothing. It adds no time to you. It adds no, um, Jesus said it doesn't add an inch to your height or to your stature. And he takes care of those things before we even get there as he did for these women. And so turn your worry into worship. Spend that time that you're, that you're worrying in prayer. And prayer actually does change things and, and will make a difference. In verse 3 it says, Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. I saw this study, and I thought it was just fascinating. You can take it or leave it, throw it out, but you could look it up online. You could read the little article. There's a Dr. McDougall, I think sometime around the 1900s, and he wanted to do a study if if your soul had weight. And so he was able to get people at the time of death on a scale. And it took a couple experiments because of the the... Um, fluids would leave the body and it messed up one of the experiments and I'm sure getting people at the time of death on a, on a bed with a scale was a difficult feat in its own. But he successfully in multiple cases weighed and there was a difference. You want to know what your soul weighs? 18 to 21 grams. True story. 18 to 21 grams. The, the weight of, of the body would change. And then he did it with animals and found no change in their, in their, uh, after death, but fascinating, I thought. And in verse four, it says, and it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. So we know these two men in shining garments. Now, Clorox couldn't make these these garments that white. But these two men were angels that were there that had rolled the stone away. And then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Everybody say it. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee. <clears throat> the other gospel says, Mary, Mary told him, where have you taken him? I'll get him like she's going to take his 200 pound body and strap him on her back. And she's willing to go get him. And she was zealous and in love with Jesus and um But he is not here. Verse six again, he is risen. And then in verse seven, it says. Saying the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. So this reminder that Jesus had told them so many times that he would rise again. Now, again, the women went there with the intention of of finding a body. And this, this angelic reminder that Jesus was going to die. Now, as the women go and tell the disciples, you get the impression that Peter and John, at that moment, it clicked. And as they left running for the tomb, they were expecting to find an open tomb, realizing and remembering the times that Jesus said that he was going to rise again the third day. Now, again, as we know, Easter is a day of celebration for us as believers. So I wrote down two words in pre- preparing for my sermon this week. Celebration and salvation. And those are the two things as Christians that, that we do on Easter Sunday. We want to celebrate our victory. 
Easter um, Sunday is the day that we win. It's, it's the game changer. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, where there is no Christianity. Paul tells us in, in uh, 1 Corinthians, in chapter 15, about the resurrection, that without it we are the most pitiable. And he says in verse 17 of, of chapter 15, And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. So we know that um, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is nothing. But with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we, we have the victory of Jesus. In 2 Timothy, he tells us in chapter 1, Paul tells us in chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, verse 10, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death, brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So Jesus, listen, through his resurrection, revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now back to... Um, Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, and it says in verse, in verse 8, And they remembered his words. And then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and the rest. Now, the term was always twelve in the Gospels, but now we have the eleven because Judas went and hung himself. And it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And then in verse 12, we're going to see Peter. And in verse 10, I want to just make a note that there was different people from different walks of life. Mary, who cast Jesus cast seven demons out of her. Peter, who was one of his very disciples. And in this group of Joanna and Mary, the, the mother of James, you find maybe a nominal person, an average person, an exceptional person, a, a sinful person. And Jesus is for all people. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is for all people. The message is for all people. Jay's going to bring me a drink of water. Thanks, Jay. God bless you, dude. So the resurrection again, or Jesus is for all folks. So no matter where you are, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, Jesus is for you. His victory is for you on the cross. Um, and through the resurrection today. And then in verse 11 it says, And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. Now why didn't they believe them? Because they were women. Women didn't even have the right to vote in those days, or I mean not vote, but testify in a court of law. And so, um, but Peter arose and ran to the tomb. And stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves. And he departed, marveling to himself what had happened. The other gospel tells us that Peter and John had a race that they took off. And John tells us twice that he beat Peter in the race. And as John got to the tomb, he was contemplative and he had his own personality. And as he came, he kind of, you know, and Peter, who, who came along later huffing and puffing, you know, kind of knocks John out of the way and he bulldozed down into the tomb like a bull in a china closet to see that Jesus wasn't there. 
And it says that the linen cloths that were covering him were, were laying in place as if you just kind of slipped your hand out of a glove and it just fell. Not like you threw your covers off of you in the morning out of bed. That Jesus just rose through and the resurrection, the burial cloth. And then in verse 13 it says, Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And so it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. You know, in verse number 15, we get this um, story beginning of the road to Emmaus. Now, if you know the story of the road to Emmaus, Jesus is going to appear to two guys that are on their way to Emmaus. And they're not going to recognize him at first, and he's going to begin to speak to them. And in verse 15, it says that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. You know, it's the presence of Jesus in our life that creates no fear. I have a note here in my Bible, and it just says no fear. No fear for the simple fact that Jesus is with us. You know, in John's Gospel, we hear this thing all the time, that we are the children of God, or that we're all God's little children. And unfortunately, we, you know, we have this idea that being good is, is the will of God, or being good is what gets us to heaven, or being good people. But Jesus said the, the will of the Father, the work of the Father is to believe on the Son. Listen to what, what John tells us in his gospel um, about being the children of God. It says in verse number 12 of John's gospel, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name. You know, I've heard a lot of stories and different people saying that they've been in fear. Or they have a friend who's been deathly afraid and, and freaking out. And, 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 and someone told me this week that this person who was so afraid didn't understand how they could be so calm. And I was telling them that we have absolutely nothing to fear. But you know the truth is? You have nothing to fear if you're a child of God. And we don't automatically become a child of God. And I'm sorry if that bursts your bubble. You don't, you're not born necessarily a child of God. That's not what the Bible says. What Jesus said in John chapter 12 or, or in John chapter 1 is if two things, he says, as many as receive him to him, they, he gave the right to become children of God and to those who believe in his name. So to be a child of God. And once you're a child of God, Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you. Lo, I will be with you always to the end of the age. And every one of the thousands of amazing promises of God's security in your life are with you as a child of God. It's an umbrella that God puts over his family. And as a child of God, God's not going to leave you. He's going to take care of you just as you would your own children. You know, the Bible says if you being an earthly father, you know how to give your children good gifts. How much more will the father give you a good gift? And in that story, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. But he says, if your son comes to you and says, Dad, I'm hungry. Can I have a piece of bread? How many of you would throw him a rock and say, here, chew on this? Or if he says, Dad, you have a piece of fish, would say, here, there's a live snake. Play with that. You wouldn't do that as a father. And listen, our father, who is in heaven, our, our heavenly father, our good, good father, he's going to take care of his children. But I just want to be clear with you this morning. I want to give you an opportunity because it says in John's gospel, go look it up, John chapter 1, verse 12, that to those who receive Jesus and believe to them, He's given the right to be called the children of God. So I'm going to give you an opportunity right now. I'm going to do it again in the end. I'm going to do it twice. Give you an opportunity to receive Jesus in your life. John 1.12, as many as receive, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name.
So will you pray with me? Father, I ask that you would come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. Lord, I receive you and I believe in Jesus. I believe that he died on the cross and he rose again the third day. And I give you my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Forgive me of my sins. I want to be a child of God. As you say in first John or in John chapter one, verse 12. In Jesus name. Amen. So the Jesus appears to these two guys on the road back to our story and um, they don't recognize him. Now, why don't you think they recognize Jesus? They didn't know what he looked like? No. Did he spiritually cover their, their blinded, their eyes for a moment? He does that. He does that in different times in the Bible and different places. We see that's very possible that he spiritually kind of just blocked them for this, this teaching moment. Or maybe he just looked totally different. You know, I, I, people think that you're going to see Jesus in heaven and he's still going to have that, you know, I think you think of medium long hair and this beard. Well, let me tell you something. He, he can cut his hair. He can shave. Maybe Jesus shaved after the resurrection, went to his stylist and got his updo done and, you know, put on a different, different outfit and he put on a, you know, a retro outfit and some jeans and a polo and they just didn't recognize him. But Jesus is, uh, when we see him in heaven, Maybe he won't look at like the long hair and the beard. Maybe he he have cut his hair. Maybe just supernatural. But they didn't recognize him nonetheless. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Now, they were sad. Are we sad? And again, Jesus shows up and his presence is going to bring um, cast out fear. Jesus said, I've not given you a spirit of fear, but that of power and of love and of a sound mind. And here they're sad. They believe that Jesus is gone and they're going to go through this tirade of things they had hoped and had believed. And, you know, and that's kind of where we are today. We, we had hoped. We had believed. And one thing just changes everything. You know, one of the things I just want to be so clear on through all of this coronavirus, you know, we, we, we do so much work trying to figure out what the Bible says about the end times and this and that in our life. And what we're learning unequivocally is that one thing can absolutely change the perspective of everything else. No, nobody. I didn't hear anybody teaching this or preaching this or predicting this. And one virus completely just changed everything. And that can happen. And, and sometimes the result of these guys is their perspective changes. Naturally, they were sad. Naturally, they were down. And Jesus is going to show up in their lives. And by the time this is over, they're not going to be sad anymore. They're going to be pumped. They're going to be like, oh! Did our, not our hearts burn with inside of us when we when we heard him? Didn't we kind of know even though we missed it? And listen, we want you to experience that. I want you to experience Jesus and what he will do to transform your sadness into gladness. And in verse 18, it says, then one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? This is a little Jesus humor. You know, Jesus got jokes, right? He, he called the two guys the sons of thunder and, you know, he was jesting with them. And he here he's got jokes. So this is a little God humor for you. And they said to Jesus, or Jesus said to them, what things? Didn't you know about the things that have happened in Jerusalem? Oh, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet. Listen, was a prophet. Mighty indeed. And word before God and all the people. Listen, he still is. They got this wrong. And they're going to find out. And when they find out that not only that he was, but that he still is, it's going to bring amazing joy in their life. 
and for the whole world to find out that Jesus is alive is a game changer. There is absolutely one fact in human life that changes everything. There's lots of facts in life, but 99% of them don't change everything. But there is one fact of life that absolutely changes 100% of everything. And that's Jesus is alive. Because as soon as he's alive, we're accountable to him. His word is true. All of his claims are true. Everything that he said is true. What he predicts that's going to happen in the future is absolutely going to happen and come to pass. And Jesus is coming according to his word. And so Jesus is, you know, messing with them. And and they, they go on in verse 20. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping, catch that past tense, that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, beside all this, today is the third day since these things happened. So they again, they're sad. He was a prophet. We were hoping And then in verse 22, yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. And when they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Guess what, folks? He is alive. He is alive. So you can change all those past tense there. He was alive. He is alive. The tomb is empty. Then Jesus said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. So Jesus points them where? To the word of God. To the things that were prophesied of Jesus' death and resurrection that they should have known. Isaiah 53 in detail. Psalm 22 in detail. That Jesus would die on a cross. That he would um, be slain as a lamb. That the Lamb of God would would take away the sins of the world. And he points them right back to the Scripture. Lost my verse. And then and then it says um, in 26, ought not I skipped a few. That's why, huh? In verse 26, it says, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scripture, the things concerning himself. How would you guys like to have that tape? Right. Jesus himself goes to the the Old Testament and he begins to walk through the Old Testament, says beginning at Moses and the prophets. And he expounded to them in the scriptures, all the things concerning himself. I wonder if he went to Genesis 22 and I wonder if he went to um, Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 and Samuel and the the prophets and began to bring um, himself in all the stories that that's a story of me and this is a story of me and through the prophecies of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and he's walking through would love to have a copy of that but he didn't give it to us. It's for, it's for us to find, to be students of the Word, students of the New Testament, students of the Old Testament. And so Jesus expounds to them all of these things through the Scriptures as they walk down the way. And then in verse 28 it says, They drew near the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us. I think there's a little irony here, that they're telling Jesus 
to abide with them. When Jesus tells us in John 15 that we're to abide in him. I wonder if Jesus chuckled when they said, abide with us. And Jesus said, if you only knew, abide in me, to walk with me. Abide means to remain, to continue with, to be close. It's a life verse for me. That every day my, you know, there's so much to remember and so much to do in life to, to, to be a good parent, to be a good father, to be a good employee, to be a good friend, to be a good pastor and so many different areas of life that we're trying to control and to, to manage. And Jesus gives us just a real simple everyday approach to life in John 15 and he says, abide in me. And so everything that, that I've focused on in my life is to abide in Jesus. Remain in Him, spend time with Him, grow in Him, know Him, and then all of those other things are covered and born out of this concept of abiding in Jesus and being intimate and friendly and, and, and knowing Jesus personally. And so they, they say to Him, abide with us, for it is toward the evening and the day is far spent. And He went with them and stayed with them. And now it came to pass, as, as he sat at the table, you'd think that Jesus had some important things to do, right? But he's with the two guys on the road to Emmaus. They invite him to come in and stay, and it's getting late. And according to them, he's a stranger. He's going to need a place to stay as it's getting dark. And so they go in, and, and they begin to break bread. And it says that it came to pass, Jesus sat at the table with them, and he took the bread, and he blessed, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened. Everybody say, then their eyes were opened. What opened their eyes? It was the communion bread that he served. Or God supernaturally at that moment and with that thing opened their eyes. Do you remember Mary in the other gospel when she came and she saw Jesus and she, she thought he was the gardener and she said, where have you taken him? And then Jesus said to her, Mary. Right. And it was at the name when Jesus spoke her name, something inside of her realized it was Jesus. And she, the Bible says she began to cling to him. And Jesus said, Mary, don't don't cling to me yet. And so here are these guys and Jesus begins to break bread in communion as he would have just done nights earlier in the Last Supper. And as he begins to break bread and share communion with them, they, re they, re they received it and they understood the light came on. What a moment. What a moment when the light comes on. For me, the light came on in March of 1994 when I received Jesus in my heart to be my Lord and Savior. I was 20 years old. And at 20 years old, I became a believer in Jesus Christ. I had compounded a ton of sin up to that moment. My life was a mess. It was a wreck. It was headed nowhere. I was in bondage and in blah, blah, blah that I don't even need to share details about because they're all just ugly and, 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 and ugly. But Jesus came and he shined a light to a young man, 20 years old. And he, and he poured out his spirit upon me and he forgave me of my sins and he changed me and a light came on. And, and I can remember saying yes and asking Jesus and praying to ask Jesus into my heart and feeling the power of the Holy Spirit come on me. And from that moment on, my life was changed as I began this long walk of walking with Jesus. Being a Christian is not a sprint. Sometimes we want to sprint out of, this, out of the, the blocks, but we realize that it's a, it's a marathon. It's something that we'll do day in and day out for the rest of our lives. And, and that's why God gave me that, that, that concept of life to just every day, Pastor Chris, just abide in me. He doesn't call me Pastor Chris, by the way. Um, just abide in me. He calls me Chrissy. No, I'm just kidding. That's what my mom calls me, but don't tell nobody. Um, so 
this, this concept of just abiding in Jesus and this light that comes on in your heart and my life. You know what? If, if that light has never come on for you, you've got to put your faith in Jesus. You've got you to say yes to Jesus. And, and, and it's not enough just to be a good person. I'm sure you're a wonderful person. And God loves you so much just the way you are. But you have to say yes to Jesus. You have to receive him and believe in him to be considered a child of God. So we're praying for everybody today. Celebration for us as believers that Jesus rose again. And salvation for anybody in any church in the world that's tuning in today that doesn't know Jesus. So this light comes on for these guys. Um, in, in verse number 31, their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. So when Jesus' work was done in that moment, he didn't end up staying the night like they thought he would. He serves the communion. They come on and listen to their response. This is one of my favorite verses in this chapter. And they said to one another in, in verse 32, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? And while he opened the what? The scriptures to us. As he opened the word of God and began to expound. So this guy, they're walking down the road with this, this stranger who professes he doesn't know what's going on in Jerusalem. And, and then he begins, they, they had to think this whole thing was so strange, right? Because first of all, he, he says, oh, I don't know what's going on in Jerusalem. And they're like, you don't know this Jesus who we had hoped. And then all of a sudden the same guy opens his Bible or maybe he didn't open a Bible, he just began to expound to them. He didn't have a scroll, right? He just would have, from the heart, from the memory, begin to recite scriptures and verses. And as they're listening, they're starting to realize that there's so much power in what this guy is saying. There's so much truth in what God is doing in this moment. And then when the light does come on, they look back and they go, Oh, did not our hearts burn within us as he was reading the scriptures to us? And, you know, no doubt all of us, right? And we always have that what if idea. And I get it. You know, what if, if Jesus was here? Or if Jesus did that for me? Or if I could only see? But, you know, the reality is that God has given you his Holy Spirit. And Jesus said it's far greater. We live in a day that's far greater. We live in a day where you have far more opportunity to believe. And let me tell you one thing that's consistent in the scripture over and over and over again. And even here. Jesus is going to point them back to the fact that through the scriptures, that that was sufficient for God to communicate his truth to the people, that they didn't need anything else. And they should have known through the scriptures. You know, there was miracles that Jesus did and, and, and signs and wonders. But Jesus never points back to the signs and the wonders and the miracles for believing and understanding. He, he, he points back to the word of God, the prophecies, the scriptures. And you have the word of God. You have more than anybody's ever had in all of human history to be able to believe. And now you live in a day where the signs of the times are, are ramping up, where the signs of the times are becoming more and more intense and more and more frequent, like the labor pains on a pregnant woman and can't be missed. You know, this reminds me of this story, another one of my favorite stories. I don't even know if it applies here, but I'm going to share it anyways because it is so cool. Um, in, in Jeremiah, it says in Jeremiah chapter 20, one of my favorite verses of, of Jeremiah, um, really of the whole Bible. I remember in Bible college, I, I heard this verse for the first time and it just lit this fire in me. But if you know anything about Jeremiah, he, he spent a lot of time in prison. 
And, and every time he was, he was doing the Lord's will, he wasn't because he was a bad guy, he was preaching the gospel, he was doing exactly what God commanded him, told him to do, and he, and he ended up in jail for it, and jail for it, and jail for it. And finally, he had been in so many jails, and so many times that he was frustrated in his heart, and he was in a bad situation, and he, and he knew that he was only doing God's will, and yet finding himself um, struggling. And finding himself being persecuted and in prison. And he, he comes to the Lord in Jeremiah 20 in verse 9. And he says, and I will not make mention of him nor speak of his name. He was, he was upset sitting in the last, I'm on the last prison cell for God I'm going to sit in. I will not make mention of him or speak of his name anymore. And he said, Lord, I won't make mention of you or speak of your name anymore. And then listen to what the rest of that verse says. Jeremiah says, but his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones and I was weary of holding it back and I could not. And Jeremiah just has this moment of, he says, oh Lord, I'm not doing your will anymore. And then he says, but the word of God had just swole up in my heart and my bones and I couldn't but hold it back. You know, the same experience that the, the guys on the road to Emmaus have. Let's finish up here. Um, this chapter, listen, I'm trying to jam. Hopefully I'm going fast enough because we're going to finish the entire chapter of verse 24. So um, and we're getting there. We're getting to it. Uh, 32 is where we left off. Luke chapter 24, verse 32. And it says, and they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened the scripture to us? So they arose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the Eleven, those are the, the new term for the disciples instead of the twelve, now they're called the eleven. And, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord is risen indeed. Everybody say that with me, verse 34. The Lord is risen indeed. So listen, that's all Bible, where our little traditional saying goes, the Lord, the Lord is risen indeed. You take this verse with that other verse, he is risen, he is risen Indeed, that's been a greeting that Christians have greeted with each other on Easter Sunday for as long as I can remember. I remember being a newer Christian, and I was, I was in Bible college and um, was doing my first Easter service at Joshua Springs. And the saying was brand new to me. You know, I didn't grow up saying it, didn't know it. And all of a sudden, Pastor Gerald, you know, and he's walking around telling everybody, he is risen, he is risen indeed. And then he wants me to do it. And I'm embarrassed. I'm like, you know, and that's just, oh my gosh, I've done it so many times. I've said it so many times that... I just love it. I just love it. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And he's coming back just for this year. We're going to, you know, encourage one another with that, that Jesus is coming back. Verse 35 says, and they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. So for these these brothers, um, the bottom of 35, that he was known to them as he broke the bread. And so they're telling everybody this amazing story that they just lived and experienced. You know, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it, it changed a lot of people's lives. You know, one of the stories in the Bible is James, Jesus's own half-brother, James, who becomes a leader in the early church. He's the one who writes the, um, the epistle of James. He wasn't a believer in Jesus until after the resurrection. But the power of the resurrection made him a 